It is good to see some of our young college students who are home. Uh, and yes, we're playing favorites. We're most excited for the blonde one who's home. Uh, all of our kids under one roof. That's nice. But there's one specific young college student who is back home that I want to bring attention to this morning. Uh, on Thursday evening, Pastor Lance Briley was uh, given his Master's of Theological Studies at Grimke Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, he's not young, but we are really proud of him. Uh, it's an awesome thing and a great accomplishment. Everything is bigger in Ephesus. <laughs> you thought I was going to say Texas, right? But to be fair, we think everything's about us. <laughs> so if there is a Texas in the Bible, maybe it is Ephesus, which is where we left the Apostle Paul when we were last in the book of Acts together Sunday before last. Everything's bigger in Ephesus. Their, their income stream was bigger than everybody else. It was considered to be the richest city in the world at this time. It was uh, a strong economy. It was uh, uh, the, the primary port for that region of the world. So back then, the way that you had wealth is that you actually had money. Not that there's like numbers you follow on your app. There was no Bitcoin. There was no uh, cyber investments. No, you would get something and you would sell it for more than you got it, you hoped. Or you would grow something and sell it. And so this ability to trade and to barter and to uh, get goods was really the flow of wealth. And Ephesus was that main port. So it was bigger when it comes to wealth. Ephesus' diversity was bigger. It was one of the, the few cities in the world that could consider itself multi-ethnic, multicultural, cosmopolitan. Their intelligence or education system was bigger. It was the home of the largest library in the world. But beyond their wealth being bigger or diversity or education, their religious zeal was bigger than everybody else's. Not necessarily healthy religious zeal. As a matter of fact, we're going to see it was pretty unhealthy. But their religion was bigger. The world's largest temple was in Ephesus at this time. Dedicated to the goddess Artemis, or her Roman name, Diana. This place was huge. And I mean like huge, like all caps, no Trump giggles at all. Nobody giggled at huge. I thought that was fun. Okay. Thank you. My wife did. She still laughs at my jokes after all these years. Because she clearly has a low bar. Um, this temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. There were pillars in this temple that were 60 feet tall. So I'm, I'm not great at that kind of math, but we're going to assume that this ceiling is 20 feet tall. I think it's probably closer to 18. We're going to go with 20. So 60 foot tall pillars, three times the height of the ceiling. There was 127 of them in this temple. It was a magnificent structure. 
in the middle of this temple, there was an idol or a statue of Artemis carved out of a meteor that fell from the sky. Artemis was worshipped in Ephesus as the source of their protection and their prosperity, which is really what they actually worshipped. See, with many idols, what we worship is actually what we get from the thing that we worship. And they believe that if they worshipped her, they would get protection and prosperity. Everything was bigger in Ephesus. Grab your Bible if you would, please. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, that's our gift to you today. Please keep that. Uh, but we're going to invite you to grab it. We're going to hold our Bibles up in the air and say our creed and our opening prayer together. And then we'll jump into the text. Let's declare this together this morning. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. Please turn to Acts chapter 19. Page 873, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you. Uh, 873, Acts chapter number 19. We started out in Acts chapter 19 two weeks ago. Um, we're going to read through the rest of the chapter this week, but we're not going to fully unpack it. We'll be there again next week. We've uh, I had... This was getting to be a really, really long sermon, and I just decided if you actually came on a holiday Sunday, you didn't want me to be longer than normal, and so we divided it up into two, and uh, you would think somebody would amen that. <laughs> Goodness. So we're going to be in this story again next week as well, and since we had a week break in the middle, I want us to recap uh, or kind of catch up. The Apostle Paul is ministering in Ephesus. He's seeing incredible things happen. Um, as a matter of fact, some extraordinary things. People are being healed and, and people are, are, the power of God's moving so much that even the hanky that Paul has used is, is, is now, uh, somehow transmitting healing powers to people. Like that's how incredible this moment is. And there's, there's some people who see this extraordinary stuff. It's the seven sons of Siva or Skiva, depending on which theologian you uh, I've never met him, so we're, we're going based on dead people, what they think his name was. But we're going to say Siva. He's got these seven sons, and what Siva is known for is exorcisms. It's a very religious city. There's a ton of witchcraft and, and sorcery. And so they come into town to cast out demons, and they try to borrow the name of Jesus. One pastor said, this is the local Ghostbuster squad rolling into town uh, to cast out these demons they have. Uh, their family exorcism firm, the firm of Siva, 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 and Siva, right? It's a long, you know, like those attorney firms, you know what I'm talking about? I thought it was funny. That's strike three. In closing, um, thank you for being here today. Enjoy your cranberry sauce. Um, so they're trying to invoke this name of Jesus that they don't really know. And we pick back up in verse 15, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? Verse 16, the man in whom the evil spirit uh, was, he leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's bad, Right? You got to give me something this morning. Like I know, I know it's a holiday week, but like, is that bad? 
that, that's bad. That's pretty, pretty bad. Verse 17, as you would assume, whenever priests are running through town naked and wounded, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And I want you to notice this. We, we rushed through this two weeks ago. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, which is a Greek word, megaluno, which means to make great, to enlarge or increase. Everything's bigger in Ephesus. And in this moment of history, the thing that's getting even bigger than everything else is the name of the Lord Jesus. I think that's awesome. There's nothing bigger anywhere than the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse 18, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Because when you see the power of the name of Jesus for how big it really is, you start confessing how big we really aren't. That's what happens. If we really see the magnitude of the name of Jesus, we'll start confessing how small our name really is and how we've fought to make it bigger. Verse 19, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together. Picture the library from Dr. Strange, right? They're, they're bringing their books together and they burned them in the sight of them all. They counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Approximately 138 years of a working man's wage. One historian said this would have been well over $7 million worth of magic art books. Verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Everything's bigger in, in Ephesus, but the two things that are getting bigger, I almost just said Texas. Everything's bigger in Ephesus, but the two things getting bigger in this story is the name of the Lord and the word of the Lord. Whew. I just think that's good. And that's where we pick back up in the story. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and travel to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. He's, he's making his future plans here. Having sent into Macedonia ahead of him, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he stayed himself in Asia for a while. A long while, right? We said he ends up being here three years. And about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Here we have again that beautiful name of this, this movement of Jesus, the way. And again, we've seen this throughout the book of Acts, this no little disturbance, meaning it was a big old disturbance, right? Like it's a, it's a big old scene. Somebody done made a scene up in Ephesus here. Everything's bigger in Ephesus. Even the disturbances are bigger in Ephesus, right? For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Everything's bigger. Including the business. See, there were tourists who had traveled Ephesus, not just because it was a port town, but because of this, one of the seven wonders of the world, because of this temple. They would travel. They would want a souvenir to take back with them. They would want their little uh, Eiffel Tower uh, keychain. They wanted their little remembrance of Artemis. But they were more than just a keepsake or a souvenir. They would actually take them home as a personal idol 
used in private worship. There was a whole tourism industry in Ephesus then. As a matter of fact, until recent history, there was still tourism industry. Um, this is uh, the region of Istanbul, Turkey, and tourism is not very active today. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week, but there was hotels, there's restaurants, there's people who made a living off of tourism here. There's little carts and booths where people are selling trinkets. It's a big business, right? You couldn't go home without the bumper sticker for your chariot that said, Artemis is my co-pilot, right? Honk if you love Artemis. Artemis, take the wheel. Artemis is greater than my highs and lows. I love Artemis, but I cuss a little, right? Nobody? It's big business. There might have even been a local Artemis radio station. These, is safe for the whole family. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. This would be like the silversmith's union, right? They all had the matching pins on their whatever they wore. And he said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth, which was the true idol of every city. And the true temple. Skip Heidsick said the most sensitive part of a person's anatomy is their pocketbook. For those of you under the age of 40, a pocketbook is like your debit card. The most sensitive part of a person's anatomy is their Apple Pay. I don't know. Here's the reality. There tends to be no little disturbance when our no little business gets interrupted, gets affected. If Jesus is doing something that affects my wealth, there's going to be no little disturbance. Verse 26, when... You see and hear, he's continuing to, to say this is a big problem. When you see and hear, both of those words are important. Like we visually have seen the effects of this, not just heard stories, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul guy has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying... That gods made with hands are not gods. What an awesome testimony. What a profound legacy. We have seen and heard that in everywhere we know of, people are persuaded that the gods we make are not worth worshiping. Yeah, that's incredible. And you would think that the, the crowd went, wait, if I made it, why am I worshiping it? Like you would think that there was this kind of a congregational light bulb in this moment where they're like, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe I should meet this Paul guy. Verse 27, there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. I love how eloquent he gets. 
she whom all Asia and the world worship. And I just want to say to Demetrius, apparently Asia and the whole world worship a pretty fragile God. If one stranger can come to town for a few months and talk about another God and she is deposed from her magnificence, maybe she wasn't that magnificent to begin with. Just like every other idol that jockeys for position on the throne of our hearts. It makes me picture the scene in the first Avengers movie where the Hulk is smashing Loki back and forth. And he turns around and says, puny God. And truly, like, I think if Bruce Banner was in the crowd and hears him saying this, he's like, puny God. And this was the largest temple in the world. The best idols that planet Earth has to offer are puny gods compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Loki, for that sermon illustration. Verse 28, instead of having a light bulb, the opposite happened. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When he just said how fragile she was, they declared her greatness because at the end of the day, it was never about her. It was what they were trying to take from her, namely protection and prosperity. And when that got threatened, they doubled up their praise of the false idol. Verse 29, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions and travel, they couldn't find Paul, so they just took these two poor guys and dragged them in to the theater. Everything's bigger in Ephesus, right? This was the largest theater in the world at this time. And I'm not using that phrase like, oh, he's telling a sermon illustration, so he's exaggerating for effect, like my boys tell me every Sunday I've done with a story that we've experienced together. This was the largest theater in the world. And the amazing thing about this theater is it has been incredibly preserved to this day. The little bit of tourism industry that still exists in this part of Turkey, you can travel to it and see it today. Uh, we have a picture of it here on the screen. It would seat 25,000 people. If you're like me, I'm not good at guessing crowds and, and judging the sizes of places. So hearing 25,000 people sounds like a big number. But I struggle with context for that. So here's the context. If you've been to the New Dickies Arena, with its largest seating capacity, depending on the event in the venue, its largest seating capacity is right around 14,000. Last night with George Strait there, 14,000. This could seat 25,000. If we travel to the lesser city to the east and go to the American Airlines Center or the AAC or the house that Dirk built, or the house that Luca is rebuilding, at its mass capacity, standing room only, it seats 21,146 people. But I say seats, that's standing room only tickets. So in its largest capacity, the AAC can't contain the crowd that could fit in this theater. Everything actually is bigger in Ephesus. I just want us to see the magnitude of the crowd in this moment. 
And here's where the story gets different than any other story we read in all of Acts. The Apostle Paul is rational. (laughs) He's pretty reckless, right? Like they beat him to death. He gets up. They think he's dead. And he gets up and walks back into the city. But this time, verse 30, Paul wished to go in among the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. And this is because we've seen a bunch of women come to faith in Jesus. That's not in the text. But we do know that a bunch of strong, authoritative, influential women have come to faith in Jesus. We've been reading their stories. And I believe that one of them went, Paul, what? Sit down. Turn off your testosterone and turn on your spirit of discernment. This is not wise. I don't know. Verse 31. Even some of the Asiarchs. It's just a really strange way of saying people from Asia. Who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to. I love this. So Paul has a reputation among the people who love him most. They're like, I bet Paul's going to run straight to that theater. Quick, send him a text. Chill, bro. Like, that's that's what they're after here. So but back back to the theater, verse 32. Some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. If that's not 2022, I don't know what is. We are outraged, but we have no idea why or about what. That's the mob mentality, right? What are we yelling at? Right? They have no idea what's going on. It's hysterical. I have people tell me all the time how mad they are about some political thing. And I'm like, yeah, so tell me the difference between the House and the Senate. They're like, I don't know. Like, right, so we're so outraged. We have no idea what's going on. Verse 33. So some of the crowd prompted Alexander. Because he has a great name. This isn't Alexander the Great. They just picked Alex and said, you're so auditory and enjoy public speaking that we're going to call Alex to the stage. Whom the Jews had put forward. Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense of the crowd. But they recognized that he was a Jew. And for about two hours, they all cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Like, oh, no, we don't want to listen to a Jewish person. Why? I don't know. Great is artists of the Ephesians. They're just screaming like crazy people. Is this not funny to anybody other than me? Give me an Artie. Give me a mess. Because this is a mess. Right? Garrett and I had the great opportunity to go to the uh, Gator game last Saturday. Not yesterday. Last Saturday. And there's a thing at every, if you ever attended a, a Gator game, there's a, a moment in every game where the cheerleaders on one side of the sideline hold up a sign that says blue, and the cheerleaders on the other side of the stadium hold up a sign that says orange, and for minutes, drunken lunatics just scream colors at each other. <laughs> blue, orange, right? and it's only one syllable, it's not orange, and they're just yelling at each other, and I picture this scene, Artemis! We're just screaming. We have no idea why. Give me an A. Anyways. Verse 35. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd. This is the person who like is taking notes and knows what's actually going on. Monica Martin stood up. 
and said, that is enough. (laughs) Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? And seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. They are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. If you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when they'd said these things, he dismissed the assembly the end of the chapter. End of the story. It ends so unmagnificently. And I'm glad the story just kind of ends without a lot of luster because I think it gives us the opportunity to learn from it and not rush to the next thing. This word assembly in verse 41 is a word that we've talked a lot about in 2022. It's the word ecclesia. What we're witnessing in this great theater is a version of a megachurch. This is nothing more than a giant worship gathering. This is a giant Billy Graham crusade with no Billy. Hear what I'm saying? The problem with the mob in Ephesus is not that they were worshipers. Is that they were worshiping the wrong things. We are all worshipers. It is undeniable. The only question is whether or not we're worshiping the right thing. Whether our praise is oriented, our gratitude is oriented, our heart is oriented around the right things. Paul David Tripp, great book I just finished this past week, says we are all constantly Worshipping something. This is the radical epicenter of the anthropology of scripture. Anthropology is the study of ants. It's a study, just kidding. It's the study of human beings. It's the study of humanity. It's the study of mankind. The great anthropology of scripture is this. We are all worshipers at all times. Even our dreams tend to reveal where our heart lies. We're all worshiping something God created us to love and to worship him. And here's what sin is. We have decided to worship a bunch of other things. And what we see here this morning in this story is actually the theme of the entire Bible. And that is that the core sin of humanity always has been and still is. Idolatry. Great John Calvin said that the human heart is a great idol-making factory. And it seems that every time God delivers us from one, our heart just cranks out another. The whole story of the Bible, though, is not the human sin of idolatry. The, The whole story of the Bible is a faithful and loving God who's rescuing humankind from the worship of false gods. God did not just save us so that we go to heaven one day 
and worship him then. He saved us to reorient our worship right here, right now, in everyday, boots-on-the-ground life, and to rescue us from the puny little idols that can't save us and can't satisfy us. In his loving mercy, he just won't settle to leave us worshiping lesser gods. Tripp went on to say this, We are always in pursuit of something and in service of something. To provide us with meaning and purpose and joy. And notice that he says in service and in pursuit. Because to be in pursuit of something always means it now has authority over us. We will serve what we pursue. We will serve what we pursue. We have a loving Heavenly Father, who is on a lifelong mission to do whatever it takes to deliver us from any lesser pursuits than himself. He is on a lifelong mission to do whatever it takes to pry our hearts loose from lesser loves. That's his mission on planet Earth. And I think... We, this week, are moving into a week called Thanksgiving holiday. And the reality is, every day our hearts are oriented towards praising something. I think calling this week Thanksgiving is just not detailed enough. The question is, where does our praise actually orient? Is it horizontal or is it vertical? And so I want us to... Go back to the text. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But First Chronicles chapter 29 is where our call to worship came from this morning. All of David's preparation, all of David's hard work leading to this culmination of a legacy moment. He stands up in the presence of the assembly. And this is what he says. Blessed are you. O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. I told you that today you can travel and go see the great theater in Ephesus. You cannot see the temple to Artemis. By the way, the temple of Artemis at this time in history, historians would tell us they were on their fourth version of the temple At this time, a couple hundred years later, it would be destroyed again. There's only one God whose throne is eternal, and it is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Which means there's only one place our blessings really belong, and it's that faithful God. Verse 11. Please hear this, church. We're we're close to done. I, I want you to engage your hearts, not just your attention with me here. Hear this praise. Yours. That's a possessive pronoun. You possess, O Lord, the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. It's his. He's got the deed to all that. He's got the ownership documents to all of that. It's only his. 
Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. What else is his? All that is in the heavens. What about Ephesus? And in the earth is yours. It belongs to him and him alone. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. It's yours. That means you have all authority. That means you're in charge of it all. And that means he's worthy to be praised. Right? And yet he's better than just that. Because he does something with all of what is his that he does not have to do. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. He shares what's his. Notice it's his. He rules over all. Do you understand what this means? If everything belongs to him, then here's what that means. If I have anything, it came from him. Did we hear that with our hearts this morning? If everything belongs to him, then if I have anything, it means it came from him. It's all his. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. What possible response can we have to that reality other than this? Now we thank you. Now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. We are actually not on a mission to tear down the praise to Artemis. We're on a mission to drown it out with praise of the true God. We're not threatened by the magnitude of a false temple. Our mission is not insecure. Our mission is to drown out the praise of false idols with true worship. Several months ago, um, I think back in January, I was listening to a podcast where just in passing, the person being interviewed said, for every follower of Jesus, every blessing is a double blessing. For the believer, all gratitude is a double celebration. Because we don't celebrate just the gift. A lot of people will do that this week. Many people across this world will pause and give thanks for the things in their life for which they are thankful this week. Ours is double gratitude. Because we are grateful not just for the gift. We know the source. We give thanks for the gift and the giver. Our thanksgiving is a double blessing. And double celebration because we aren't just thankful for the things in our life we're thankful that we've been invited to know the giver of those good things which means our gratitude which means our praise should drown out all lesser idols that are celebrated around us not just today and not just this week, but in the trajectory of our life. We'll talk more about 
the conflict with these idols and the response to it next Sunday morning. But for this week, we just simply end with this challenge of a double blessing. You both have received, if you've received anything, then you both celebrate this week the gift and the giver. Many of you are facing a difficult season in life. There's, it seems that there's an especially heavy season in our church family right now of people facing illness and, and some challenges. And what I would submit to you is this. There's a God who's still worthy of praise in the midst of our hurt. That's actually how we fight forward. That's how we reorient our hearts towards hope and healing is giving praise even when our hearts are hurting. 